0: Hi, I'm Shane Robertson and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God.
1: If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're going to be starting uh, today over in verse 12 of Romans chapter 5. But while you're flipping there, I just want to ask you this question. Um, Have you ever felt like you were on the wrong team? I know for me, when I was growing up, uh, I was really competitive. Uh, You can ask my parents, you can ask my wife. She hates playing board games with me. Um, Apparently, I'm miserable to play board games with. I don't know. Um, But Uh I I love competition and I love winning, right? Like if you don't love winning, what is wrong with you, right? Like winning is winning is awesome, winning is fun, competition is good, competition is fun. And and I remember one specific time when I was a kid, uh where uh and maybe you, you can relate to this, where I was on the playground and uh one of my buddies had been picked to be the team captain. And uh I love this guy, or I love this guy, I haven't talked to him in a long time. It was elementary school when we lived in Gwinnett County, and so uh he and I have not been friends since then, but Uh, he was picked to be team captain, and me and a few of my friends looked at each other and were terrified because this kid was not an athlete. But he was a loyal friend, which you know what that means. He's going to pick his friends. And we didn't want to be on his team, right? We're terrible friends. We're saying, like, I don't want to be on this guy's team. We're going to lose, right? I don't want to be on the losing team. And sure enough, you know, he goes through and he picks all of us first, and, and we're all just standing there looking at each other like, oh my gosh, this is going to be awful, right? Like, there, there's no way we're going to win. And sure enough, I, if I remember right, we, we lost. I don't remember that part. But I just remember standing there and being like, man, I don't want to be on this team. This is the losing team. Uh, maybe some of you might can relate to this uh, situation. When you walk into a room of people who you don't know, what is your first instinct? Your instinct is to look around and find the people who are going to put you in the best position, right? I work with our middle schoolers and that's one of the things they struggle with the most is just feeling accepted and feeling loved and feeling as if they have a place in this world. And I feel like to some extent, all of us deal with that, right? We walk into a room and we we don't wanna go too high up the social ladder because we won't fit in and we we don't wanna go too low because we don't wanna be seen with that group of people. And so we try to find the spot in that, in that room where we fit in the best and where we can best succeed. The truth is this morning, uh, we are all looking to be on the winning team when it comes to eternity. The problem is, is that I'm afraid the problem is deeper than many of us give it credit for. So many of us believe that the problem that we face in, in, in terms of eternity, in terms of our relationship with God is just a problem of the things that we do. Right? I'm a a bad person, right? I've I've done some bad things in my life. And so if I can just fix those bad things, maybe, just maybe, I'll be good enough to get in one day. But what we're going to see this morning is that the problem that we face is so, so much deeper than just the things that we do. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll follow along with me, starting in verse 12 of Romans chapter 5, it says this. It says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin... And thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed or counted when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But... The free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, the resulting condemnation, even so Through one man's righteousness, uh, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. This morning, I want us to take a look at uh, the three aspects in this passage. The first thing I want us to look at is we see our natural head. We see our natural head. Headship uh, is, a, is a phrase, is a word that's used in uh, the study of the Bible to refer to uh, this idea that you were either in Adam. Or you are in Christ, and and, and the Bible tells us very clearly here in this passage that if you are living and breathing, and you are not in Christ, you are in Adam. Look with me, if you will, in verse fourteen. I'm sorry, in verse twelve. It says this. It says, therefore, just through, uh, just as though one man's sin. I'm sorry, just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. It's very simple here what the Bible's saying. It's saying Adam sinned, and through Adam's sin, he introduced this problem of rebellion against God, of choosing to rule ourselves rather than let God who created us rule us. That introduced this problem of sin in the world. And because of that, there's a promise that God makes, and we're going to go to that promise here in just a second. But that promise is that Adam is going to die. Because of his sin, there's consequences, uh, we see all throughout the Bible that sin causes death, and, and, and we see that there's several kinds of death that sin causes. We see um, in Ephesians chapter 2 that uh, it causes spiritual death. Ephesians 2, Paul says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? He's talking to living people, right? How could a living person once be dead? Well, this is a spiritual death, We see uh, that there's also this aspect of a relational death. If you go to 1 John chapter 3, John says those who hate his brother abide in death. And so we see that sin has has broken our relationships, and I think every one of us here can relate to that. Continuing, we also see that there is a physical death that is a result of our sin. Romans 6.23 plainly says the wages of sin is death. In other words, what we get as a payment back for what we've done for our sin, for our choice to self-rule rather than to let God rule in our lives is a physical death. Let's keep reading. Verse 13, it says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Very simply here, Paul's saying this, uh, Paul here, when he's writing this book of Romans, he's writing to a mixed audience of both Jews and Gentile Christians who are in Rome. And Paul was once a Jew. Paul described himself as the Jew of Jews, right? He knew what they, were, they, he knew what they would be thinking at this point. And what they would be thinking is this. He, they would be thinking, wait a second, Paul. How could Adam's sin have caused all man to sin if we are found guilty in the law? Right, if, if we are found guilty under the law, which wasn't given until Moses, what about all those people who sinned before Moses. And Paul answers it very clearly. He says, until the law, sin was in the world. It's a true statement. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Okay, what what he's saying there is sin is not charged to that account. Uh, Paul has gotten, uh, has has, uh, previously said that uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in saying that, He's kind of summing up uh, an argument that he's making where Jews are found guilty under the law, and if you're not a Jew, you don't know the law, you've never heard the law of God, you're still guilty because you've disobeyed your conscience. That's over in chapters 2 and 3. And we see here, Paul says the same thing. He says, listen, if there's no law, you're not guilty of God's law, but you're still guilty of sin. And you know that because he says in verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned. Nevertheless, there were consequences for sin. There can't be consequences for something that doesn't exist. And so in verse 14, Paul says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. What he's saying there is he's saying, nevertheless, those who didn't directly disobey a direct commandment from God. Because right, Adam disobeyed a direct commandment command a very clear command from God do not eat of the fruit of the tree and from Adam to Moses there's no more commands right they're just living in their conscience they're living relying on their their own moral compass to guide them and every one of them failed at that don't believe me remember the flood the world was so corrupt that God destroyed the whole thing except for one family And so it's very clear here that Paul is saying this, sin is not a problem just of what you do. It's not just because you've disobeyed the law, but sin is a problem of who you are. This morning, dear friend, if you're sitting in this room, you're living and breathing, you are a descendant of Adam, and because of that, you are subjected to the curse that God gave to Adam in the book of Genesis. Let's flip over to Genesis chapter 3, so I can, I I hope to be able to show you how this, this promise that God gave to Adam still affects us to this very day. Genesis chapter 3. We're not going to read all of it just for the sake of time, uh, but also, I, I just want to take a look back, and as you're flipping there, I just want to, uh, if you're not familiar maybe with the Bible's creation story, I want to help you kind of remember maybe from vacation Bible school or Sunday school when you were a kid what the Bible says about creation. The Bible says that creation was good, right? God goes through and he creates the heavens and the earth and the trees and the fish and the birds and the animals, and he makes land and sea. And then on day six, he creates man. And God says man was very good. And and, and man was created and he had perfect harmony with creation and perfect harmony and communion with his creator. If you look at chapters 1 and 2, it's very clear that the way that God designed creation to function was in communion with him. Not only that, but the Bible tells us that we were created in the image of Christ. In some way, God gave us a little bit of what he looks like. And when we look back at the story of man's first rebellion against God and the following events, we're going to see the promise that God made as a result of their disobedience. We're going to see a problem that is caused by that promise. And then we're going to see a pattern of how that problem has continued to be the normal human experience ever since. Look in Genesis chapter 3, starting down in verse number uh, 5, Verse 16. He says, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Here's the thing. Adam's sin caused a problem. It caused the created order of God ruling and reigning and man trusting in God, man following God, and man having communion with God. That was broken when Adam sinned. And so what we're going to see here is we're going to see how because of Adam's sin, that created order now is broken. And so what we see is uh, we see that there's going to be pain and sorrow in childbearing. This is directly against what we've talked about when it says that, the, the, that we were created in the image of God. When, when God made man, the first thing he said was, be fruitful and multiply. Multiply. Procreation was supposed to be something that was joyous and beautiful, and an act where, as humans, we get to join with God in creating humans. And and through sin, it was so corrupted that God said, Now it's going to be painful. It's no longer going to be beautiful. It's no longer, it sure is going to be beautiful. Uh, Listen, I I better be careful. My wife's sitting in the back. Uh, It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be great. She's pregnant. We're expecting our first baby. Um, And I can't wait to be there. I can't wait to be a part of that. It's going to be so cool to get to see this life entering the world but there's consequences for sin. God continues and he says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. What he's saying here is, listen, there's gonna be some marital conflict. There's gonna be some relational conflict that's happening as a result of the sin that has entered the world. This goes directly against over in Genesis chapter two, verse 23, where where it paints this picture of of man and woman being beautifully knit together and united and, and completely like working as a team under God. Continue on down, uh, starting in verse 17, about halfway down, it says, Cursed is the ground for your sake, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles uh, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. What God's saying here is saying, listen, this, this process of cultivation, this process of, of, of creation care is going to be difficult. This process of getting food is going to be difficult. That word thorn there is the, the Hebrew word coats, and it literally means a thorny, non producing plant. Thistles, uh, that word thistles there, it, it means this it means a prickly plant, a prickly plant, try saying that five times fast, of no value. This is the first time we see these kinds of plants mentioned in Scripture, and it's a result. Of the fall and and I'm just gonna say this. If you work outside in your yard, you have experienced this. Amen? You've experienced thorns and thistles, and that's something very real to all of us, especially in the South. There's a reason we call them devil thorns. Amen? They're not fun. We see also in that section, we see that there's gonna be this change in appetite. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 29 and 30, God gives orders for what man is to eat. He says, listen, you're supposed to eat of these trees and these fruit-bearing plants and leave the, fruit, leave the, the plants of the field, leave these green plants for the animals. Well, What does God say here? He says that you are going to eat the plants of the field now. Because of your sin, you are going to have to eat what the animals eat. Uh, Just as a side note, if you're a vegetarian in this room, this should bring condemnation and conviction into your life. Amen? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, But uh, we we see this change in in our diet, right? We see this change where now we're going to have to eat what animals eat. Continue on down. You, You see that another promise that God gives is that Adam and Eve will die. He says, from dust you came and to dust you shall return. And then you continue on down, and you see even more beyond that, we see that there's a a bigger promise, and this is the most problematic promise of them all, and that is that there's going to be separation with God. Look with me down uh, in verse 22. It says this, it says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand, and take also from the tree of life, and eat and live forever.'" Verse 23, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. See, the result of Adam's sin is yes, all of these things pain in childbirth, marital conflict, relational problems, all of these things, yes but man's biggest problem here is that he is separated from God. As a result of the sin of Adam choosing to rule and reign himself, he faces separation from God. Do you see that problem? Do you you see the problem with with the things that we just looked at? Everything that Adam and Eve had been created for, everything that Adam and Eve had been created to be, everything they had been created to do, and everything they had been created to experience had been mauled by their choice to self-rule. You might be here this morning and you might say, well, that, that just seems like it's a promise just for Adam and Eve. Right? That, that just seems like it's, it's just a promise for them. The, the, the problem with that statement is that this promise Is seen continuing on throughout the course of human history. You and I experience this problem in very real and tangible ways every day. And so to say that this problem just ended with Adam is being completely blind to the human experience. All you have to do to see how we are all united in Adam in this curse is to look around. When we think about pain in childbirth, obviously, if you are a mother in the room, you have experienced that pain. Uh, Just an interesting uh, statistic that I found uh, out on the internet this week as I was studying and preparing was that one in three pregnancies today end in C-section, a very painful and invasive procedure. But we know, and we, we, we can all see, and even the Bible points to it when it says that your, your sorrow will be multiplied, when it says that we, ex- that we experience pain in other ways than just physical pain. Somewhere between 10 and 20% of known pregnancies end in miscarriage. Do you guys see how, how this created order? Just, just in the first promise is starting to fall apart. And and, and that stat doesn't even scratch the surface of the pain and and the sorrow and the hurt of of what happens when a baby has problems. What happens when a baby is born with a congenital defect or born with an illness or born with other problems that are gonna affect them for the rest of their life. There's pain in childbearing and we experience that. When when we think about marital problems, we we definitely see this in our world today. According to most sources, 50% of marriages end in divorce, and 41% of first marriages end in divorce. When we think about how, how God promised that it was going to be difficult for Adam to gather food, uh, the, the, the stats say that 8.9% of the world's pop, uh, population goes to bed every night, every night on an empty stomach. And over the next decade, that number is going to reach even higher to almost one out of every 10 Here's a shocker for you. God promised death. 100% of humans, except for three, two special cases and the Son of God, have experienced death. And then when we see separation with God, we can go through and we can think about so, so many different ways in which we see how people feel deeply the separation from God in our culture today. But, but one stat that I found this week said this, three, and, and this was done in January of 2020, by the way, so this is pre-COVID, but three out of every five adults in America experience loneliness on a regular basis. That's pre-COVID. That number's probably even higher now. So so how could it be that a world that was created good, how could it be that a world was created to be in communion with God constantly experiences all of this if we're not also united in the promise that God gave to Adam? The good news, though, is that Paul and the Bible does not stop with Adam, amen? We see, starting uh, in verse Number 15, that Adam is not the only option. See, just like me, when I was on that playground, so many of you are are looking around today and you're realizing you're on the wrong team. And the good news is there's another team that you can be on that you don't even have to be good to be on this team, right? You can just be on the team and win. Read with me starting in verse 15. We're gonna see three logical arguments here that Paul makes. Verse 15 says this, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. What Paul's saying here is very, very simple. He's saying the gift is not the trespass. This gift that we have in Jesus, this opportunity that we have to be on a different team is not the same as the trespass of Adam. What he's saying here is he's saying, listen, there's a complete difference between the free gift and what Adam did. It says this, it says, for if by the one man's offense, many died, which we know uh, from earlier in this book, we see that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And if also the same thing is true, that sin brings death, then guess what? Many here means all of us. All of us have died. All of us will experience physical death. But when you continue reading here, it doesn't just stop there. It says, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. We see that Jesus' gift, the gift that he gives us, is so much better than what we received in Adam. Let's keep reading in verse 16. It says this, it says, And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one man's offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Can I just share this with you guys? The good news of the gospel is this, that Even though we are dead in Adam, even though we deserve death, hell, and the grave, God sent his son for us, and Jesus didn't just die on a cross, but he lived a life that conquered sin and death, amen? Amen. Jesus lived a life that resisted temptation where we fail. Jesus lived a life where even when he was in the desert and tempted by Satan himself, he was able to resist that temptation so that we could experience life in Christ. So we see that Adam's sin, Adam's one choice brought death to everybody. But what Paul says here is, guess what? The gift of Jesus is better because Jesus didn't just make one choice. Jesus made a lifetime of choices culminating with the cross. Jesus was faithful even unto death so that you might experience new life in Jesus. So we see that the gift is not like the result of the trespass. And the the third thing is this in verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. We see this. We see the result of the gift overcomes the result of the trespass. Where Adam's sin brought condemnation, which brings guilt and shame and death and and imprisonment and captivity and slavery, we see that Jesus' gift Brings us justification, which brings freedom and hope and peace and eternal life and freedom from sin and freedom from death. And we see that through Jesus' faithfulness, his gift that he offers overcomes the result of Adam's trespass. RealFaith.com uh, put it this way. It says in the first Corinthians 15, or in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul called Jesus the last Adam. If you have time this week, I'd encourage you to go read that passage. It's really good, and it goes right along with what we're talking about this morning. Because he is the remedy for idolatry and the redeemer of humanity. Whereas the first Adam was the source of idolatry and the downfall of humanity. The first Adam turned from the father in a garden, but the last Adam turned to the father in a garden. The first Adam was naked and unashamed, and the last Adam was naked and bore our shame. The first Adam's sin brought us thorns, and the last Adam wore a crown of thorns. The first Adam substituted himself for God. The last Adam was God substituting himself for you. The, last Adam, or the first Adam sinned at a tree. The last Adam bore our sin on a tree. The first Adam died as a sinner, and the last Adam died for sinners do we deserve this is there is there anything that we could do to deserve this no right like if if the problem is truly not just what we do but that if the problem is that we are humans and as humans we have a problem and that problem is that we desire deeply to rule ourselves rather than let God rule us if that's the problem There's nothing we can do to fix it. No matter how much charity work you do, no matter how much you go to church, no matter how good of a person you think you might be, there's nothing that you can do to fix that problem. Only Jesus can fix that problem. If you go back and you look in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, Paul very clearly communicates that the only way to experience this free gift is through faith in Jesus, and by the way, that faith isn't just a confession, or it's not just a, uh, just words, it's not just a, a feeling. This faith is a faith that says, God, I can't do this on my own. This faith is a faith that throws your whole life in his hands, your whole eternity in his hands, and relies only on him for the problems that you face. And in that, there is so much hope, Right? Like, I, I hope if you're a Christian this morning, you're, you're seeing how much Jesus truly has done for you. you. You don't have to work to be accepted by Jesus, right? There, there's nothing that you could have done to be accepted by him. Look with me starting in verse 18. It says this, it says, Therefore, just as, through one, uh, just, as just as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. The resulting condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteousness, uh, I'm sorry, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. The hope that we have is, in Christians is this. I don't have to rely on myself to find peace with God. Every one of us here, if if we're being honest, and if we look around at the world around us, if we we look at our own life, our own relationships, our own problems, we sense deeply a sense that that we are not at peace with God apart from Jesus. But the hope we have in Jesus is this, that, that Jesus wants to justify us. Right? Jesus wants to impute. That word impute that's used uh, earlier in, in this passage is, is basically it's saying it's a credit. Right? So like when you swipe your credit card and you open your bank statement, it's there. And there's nothing you can do about it except for pay it. Right? Somebody's got to pay it. Well, what happens when, when we put our faith in Jesus is that not only does Jesus give us his righteousness, but he pays for it. He redeems our unrighteousness so that that is no longer on our account. And so we we get that our sins are forgiven in Christ, but I think sometimes we forget that through Jesus, righteousness is given to us. God doesn't just see us as morally neutral. God sees us as morally perfect in Christ. Jesus gives us his righteousness, something that we definitely don't deserve. The second thing we, we see here is that through Jesus, we get to experience new life. Jesus says in John 10, 10, I have come so that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The problem is with sin is that sin causes our life to not be what it was designed to be. The problem is with sin is sin causes us to experience things in this world that God did not design this world for us to experience. And through Christ, we can have eternal life. And and, and Paul is, is so excited about this. Paul here is just trying to get them to see how good this is. Read with me in verse 20. He says, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul would say in Philippians 3.8 that, that he sees the surpassing worth of the gospel and that he counts everything else, every other thing that he ever thought could make peace with God, he counts it as rubbish, the Bible says. Jesus in Matthew 13, starting in verse 44, tells a parable about how a man found a treasure in a field and sold everything he had so that he could go and buy this field because the treasure had that much worth. Do we see the gospel that way? Do we see the gospel as the only way out? Do we see the gospel as the only thing that can give us hope, the only thing that can give us peace? Uh, again, real life, uh, uh, real faith said this. It says, according to the Bible, we die in Adam and are born again in Christ. And in, in 1 Corinthians, it says this. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. In Adam, there is condemnation But in Christ, there is salvation. In Adam, we receive a sin nature, but in Christ, we receive a new nature. In Adam, we're cursed, but in Christ, we're blessed. In Adam, there is wrath and death, but in Christ, there is love and life. There are two teams in life. Each of us takes the field with one of them, and the decisions are made by the team captains affect the whole team, for better or for worse. Not only does the captain win or lose, his whole team wins or loses with him. One team has Adam as its captain. The other has Jesus as its captain. While there are many ways to categorize people in our society, the Bible has these two categories. Those who identify as an Adam and sharing his defeat, and those who identify as in Christ and sharing his victory. This morning, I just want to ask you this question. What team are you on? Every one of us here wants to be on the winning team. Every one of us here wants to have peace with God. If you're here this morning and you don't necessarily, you say, well, you know, this whole peace with God thing seems a little overrated. I challenge you, pick up the Bible and start reading it and see how good God is. There's no one more that I would want peace with than the God who created me. So which team are you on? Is your life marked by the fruit of the Spirit and by the work of God, or is your life marked by the fruits of sin? This morning, I did I, I just say this. Get on the right team. The Bible is very clear. To experience this hope, to experience this good gift that God gave to us, all we have to do, is to put our life in his hands. Would you be willing to do that this morning? There's, there's not a better choice you can make. Because the Bible is very clear, and Paul is very clear here, that if you are not in Christ, you are in Adam. You are on the losing team. And there is no hope for you. But the gospel is this. Jesus died so that you could be traded to the team that's gonna win. You didn't do anything to deserve that. Bible says that you, had, that you were dead in your trespasses, right? There was nothing that you could do to deserve being traded to the good team. But Jesus died so that you might experience what it's like and experience the victory found by being in Christ. Let's pray. This morning, as you were listening, maybe you, you just realized man, I've been trying to figure this thing out on my own. I thought that this sin problem was just something that I could do. I I thought sin was just something that I could overcome on my own. I could be a better person. I could do the right things and, and maybe God would accept me one day. But as you were listening, you realized the only way to solve this problem of sin in your life is through Jesus Christ. Dear friend, the Bible is very, very clear. Romans 9 says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What that means is you will call out to God and put your whole life, say, God, I can't do this on my own. I've been relying on myself, but I need to start relying on you because there's no other way by which a man can be saved but through Jesus. So if you're here this morning and and that's you and you want to experience what it's like to be on the right team, just call out to God this morning. Just call out to God and say, God, I know that I'm on the wrong team. God, I see how sin has wrecked and ruined not just my life, but the world around me. And God, this morning I'm asking you to give me that free gift in Jesus. I realize there is no other choice for me to have peace with you. God, I'm putting my life in that promise and I'm gonna live for you. With everybody's heads bowed and everybody's eyes closed, I'd just be curious, if you're here this morning and you prayed that prayer, would you just be willing to look up at me really quick, anybody? Anybody willing just to look up? Okay. Awesome. In just a minute, Phil's going to sing a song. I just want to challenge you this morning, if, if, you, if you pray that prayer, or it, it, maybe you've still got a bunch of questions. Maybe this is all new to you and, and, and you just have a lot of questions. I'm going to be standing right down front. I just want to challenge you to come talk to me. Uh, we'll, we'll have counselors out here that would love to talk to you, love to help you through any of, uh, of these questions that you're facing. But, but I want to talk to those of you who have experienced this new life for just a second. If you have experienced the free gift in Jesus, Do you live like it? Do you live like you were dead, but now you're alive? Church, our world needs to see a people who are living like they have life. So maybe this morning you just need to come and and get in this altar and pray and ask God to, to restir your affections for him and for the lost people around you. But whatever it might be, I just ask that you would come. Be obedient to God's call in your life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you, God, that where we deserve death and Adam, God, the, the gift of, of salvation is life in Christ. So, God, I just pray that this morning, God, that you would stir people's affections for you, God, and that they would be obedient to your calling. Praise in your name. Amen. Oh.
2: stand amazed in the prayer And my song shall ever be How marvelous, how wonderful Is my Savior's love for me
1: God, we thank you so much this morning. God, that you saw fit to love sinners like us. God, there's nothing that we could do to deserve this favor that that you've given to us, God. But I pray that this week as we step out of this building, we step back into our life, God, that, that you would just remind us daily, constantly, God, remind us of what you have truly done for us. God, you just haven't changed the things that we do, but God, you've changed who we truly are on the inside. So God, I pray that this week, God, that we would rely on that self, God, that we would put off our old self, and God, we would live in this new life that you've given to us. And God, that when we step into our workplaces, when we step into our families, God, that the love of Christ would be so apparent, God, that people would be drawn to you. God, I just pray for those in this room, God, who have never experienced that. God, I just pray that, that, they would, that they would surrender to that, God. That you would open their eyes to their sin. You would open their eyes to the problem that they face. And, God, that they would come to you. So, God, we love you. and We thank you so much for all that you've done for us. All God's people said, amen.
0: Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where once again we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.